I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Those who have not been with us for the youth retreat will at least know that we have been studying the topic of Paul and his beloved Philippians, this pastoral relationship that existed, relationship of love, concern, uh, mutual love indeed and care uh, for each other. And as Paul exercised his ministry by letter, being in prison in Rome and far from the Philippians, yet still writing to them, caring for them, exhorting them, directing them in paths of obedience for their good and for God's glory. Now let's pick up in chapter 2 of Philippians as we're going to consider actually the next couple of verses from what we studied last night at the youth retreat. Philippians 2, let's pick up at verse 5 and read down through verse 16. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Now, the next couple of verses are what we will consider this morning. Pay special attention then, verse 14 and 15, but we'll read through 16. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, last night we saw that we're to work out our own salvation. And we saw that that does not mean we work for our salvation, that we earn our salvation, but rather that having been saved, as Paul addresses those who are saints, those who are believers in Christ, who are made new already by the power of the gospel, he says, now work that out, demonstrate it, let it trickle down through your whole life and every aspect of your life, that it would be evident to all that you have been saved, you have been changed, you are new creatures in Christ Jesus, born again, new life in Christ. So work that out. Why? Because it is God who is at work in you. It's not something that you do in your own power, under your own steam, but God works it. God works so that you will to do it, and so that you do do it, and you do it so that he is pleased to his good pleasure. Now, Part of that good testimony, working out that salvation so that it's demonstrated to the world, he speaks of in the next two verses. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And this is in order that you would shine in the world. 
Imagine that. A testimony that glows. Working out your salvation so it is plainly seen. It glows, it shines in a dark and perverse world. That's our topic then this day. And as we look at these two verses, 14 and 15, we see, first of all, a behavior prohibited. And then there's a purpose given. And then there's a difficulty acknowledged. It's not easy what he says to do. And finally, a testimony born. So those four things, if you want uh, BP, uh, let's see, DT, behavior, purpose, difficulty, and testimony. All right, those are the four main things. First of all, this behavior that's prohibited. There are two things specifically that he says not to do. All right, two things. Do all things... Right, so do all things, do the right things, but do it without two things, complaining and disputing. Complaining, grumbling. Now the Greek word here, and I don't often you know, refer to Greek, but sometimes it's instructive. The Greek word is gonguzmon. And it's one of those onomatopoeia words, and you uh, students know what onomatopoeia is, right? It's a word that sounds like what it is. Gonguzo is the verb to grumble. Gonguzmon. Well, do all things without grumbling, without that uh, sense of complaining, grousing, and it's often heard in families. Do I have to do this? In offices, our boss really is a grouch. He is so cruel. He is so harsh. He's like Simon Legree, a slave driver. It's heard in shops. It's heard, uh, it's, it's as easy as breathing for many people to grumble and complain. This food stinks. They, I, this, the people in my room at the retreat, they're so loud. <laughs> you know, grumbling. We hear it all over. This teacher, my teacher is so mean. My teacher is so boring. This sermon is boring. I hope you don't say that. Why do I have to put up with this? You hear, you hear these kind of things every day. I'm so sick and tired of complaining. Yeah, there you go. The Israelites were notorious for this. They're going through the wilderness. And what are they doing? There's, they've, they've got food that rains down from heaven, and it tastes like coriander seed mixed with honey. And they say, this is, I'm tired of this manna. We've got manna again? Oh, it was so good back in Egypt. <laughs> really? More bricks, no straw? That's really good, you know? The church, the early church was not immune. The Hebrew widow, the Greek widows are complaining about the Hebrew widows in Acts chapter 6. Grumbling, complaining. Well, he says, stop it. Okay? Hear yourself? Man, this is, oh, there I go again. He says, don't do it. But the next word is also instructive. Do all things without disputing. Now, this word disputing means arguing, rationalizing, reasoning your way out of things. And many are fond of making ex excuses and uh, trying to get out of work, for, for example. It's often heard in homes. Children are told, 
put away your toys now. And they say, do I have to do it now? Ten minutes more, please, Mom. Oh, Mom, I'm right in the middle of... What is that? Disputing. All right? It's, it's this reasoning, trying to get out of doing what you should be doing. Uh, it's heard it, in offices, oh, the boss, that, that, that deadline. Disputing. Making your excuses weaseling your way out of things. He says, just do what you should do and stop this disputing. Now, balance, of course, we need balance. That does not mean that we cannot make constructive criticism seeking to improve a bad situation. It doesn't mean that you can never observe something that is not as it ought to be because we live in an imperfect world and of course you're going to see things that are wrong, but what it's forbidding, and, and get this, is that attitude, this place stinks, grumbling, finding fault with everything. Now, look at the scope of this prohibition. Do all things without complaining and disputing. So that's whatever you do. In your Christian life, in your speech, in your actions, you know, whatever you have, you have to do. My devotion. I have to read my Bible again. <laughs> do all things, the right things, without grumbling or disputing. All the things that God has assigned you to do. Husbands, do I have to love my wife? You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this very thing. Uh, you know, you'll love your wife. Well, is she always lovable? Am I always lovable? Is it always easy to submit? <laughs> Love your wives. It doesn't have an exception clause. But pastor, my wife, I mean, really? Do all things without grumbling, complaining, or disputing, weaseling out. What does it say? No exception clause. Love your wife, husbands, and submit. But, but my husband, you don't know what a blockhead. Love your wife, submit to your husband. And church members, your duties. And, and you know, and I'm not going to go through all of these various duties that we have, but just submitting to elders and serving Serve the Lord with gladness. One of my favorite verses from the psalm, Psalm 100. You know, serve the Lord with gladness. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Not grumbling. Not fault-finding. Deacons are to serve. Employees, employers, doctors, whatever you have to do. All things. That's the scope. Without grumbling and disputing. Without fault-finding. Without weaseling. Right, so there's the scope, and it's at work, uh, very common at work, isn't it? People gather around the coffee machine, you know, man, this place stinks, or what a job, you know, what a lousy place to work. Oh, the coffee here is no good, and there's <laughs> it, no end to it, right? Here's, here's a challenge for you employees. When people gather at the coffee machine, the water fountain, wherever it may be, at your office place of work, just do a score, a tally. How many 
positive comments are there versus negative comments? That would be an interesting score to keep. I, I would say probably is very heavily weighted on the negative. At home, about kids, my kids, ladies get together. Oh, man, you, you should see my kids. Not bragging, but <laughs> complaining. Or about husbands, I hope you don't do that. That's not proper conversation. About uh, the church, the pastor, the doing the dishes, the helping. Nobody else helps do the dishes. Why is it always me? Well, if you do it, serve the Lord with gladness. So wherever it may be, all things do without grumbling and disputing. What's wrong with grumbling and disputing? And this is our Sunday school hour, and I do have time yet, so let me just pose that as a question. What do you think is wrong with it? That's uh, in your outline there is just a question. What's wrong with grumbling and disputing it, when you really analyze it? Yes. So finally, ultimately, the object of your complaint is directed to you're complaining about God. You're complaining about his providence. You're complaining about what he served you, as it were, in your life. And, you know, really, this is what Job did. Up to chapter 1, he's doing fine. Job endured all these things and did not sin against God. You come to chapter 2, and things now affect him personally, the, the boils and so on. His wife says, Curse God and die. At least he doesn't do that. He said, you know, he doesn't follow her advice. But after chapter 2 and you follow the rest, you come down to chapter 40 and verse 2. And I, I always wondered, what was wrong with Job? What did Job do that was wrong? Because he's an upright man. And Job has his sin pinpointed by God in chapter 40, verse 2. Will the fault finder Contend with the Almighty. Let him who reproves God answer it. Now, Job undeniably had trials beyond what I think I have ever faced and no doubt what any of you have ever faced. No matter what trials you've had, he lost all his possessions, all his wealth, and all of his ten kids in one day. And then the next day, his own body is affected with boils that he's scraping with potsherds. He had it bad. But then he starts blaming God. He wants to argue with God. He wants to meet with God. Oh, that I could find him. And so God reproves him at the end of the book. Will the fault finder grumble, contend with the Almighty? He was ultimately finding fault with God, not knowing that behind the scenes, God is setting him as an example of the power of his grace. Let him who reproves God answer, will you find fault with God for his providence? Ultimately, that's what it is when we grumble, when we complain. It's not just the boss. God gave you that boss. It's not just the pastor. God gave you that pastor. It's God's gift to you that you don't like. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Go to him. Seek his face. Lay out your, yes, maybe you can tell him your burdens. Yes, he tells us to do. Cast your burden upon the Lord. But not with a complaining attitude. Tell him of your sorrows. Tell him of your difficulties. Seek his face. But as you lay your burdens upon him, do it without grumbling and disputing. And what's the opposite of this? If you do all things without grumbling and disputing, what are you going to do positively? Well, you're going to do all things cheerfully. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Young people, do you have that memorized? Old people, do you have it memorized? 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It's a very short verse. In everything, give thanks. So instead of grumbling, thank you, Lord, for this boss. Thank you, Lord, for this job that I have. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. Thank you that she puts up with me. Thank you for my kids that you've given me to care for. Thank you, Lord, for all your mercies. Thank you for your pardon and acceptance. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It's not just the boss working for the man every night and day. It's not it. You're working for the Lord every night and day. And so you serve him and you serve the Lord again, Psalm 100 verse 2, with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, he repeats himself, and we need to hear it again and again and again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And so there's the first thing. There's a behavior forbidden, but as we just learned in studying the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, the opposite is commanded. So if you do all things without grumbling and disputing, you should do all things with thanksgiving and praise. All right, so why should we do this? There's a purpose given in chapter 2 and verse 15, going back to Philippians. So we've seen the behavior prohibited, do all things without grumbling or complaining and disputing. Secondly, what is the purpose? Look at verse 15. So that you may... Become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse, crooked and perverse generation. So, so that you may become blameless and pure. Uh, now, that means without blemish. Not that we can make ourselves children of God, but because you are children of God. Demonstrate that because as children of God, you should be blameless and pure, harmless and innocent. Where if you're born of God, you should manifest that character, that likeness. Now, you look at me, and I, well, let me put it this way. I look in the mirror, and I'm not as young as I used to be. And I see an old guy. You know who I see? I see my dad. He's actually older than me, believe it or not. And... He's, he's 93 now, still living. But I see my dad. Well, look, he's, that's an old guy there. But I, you see, there's a resemblance. Family traits passed down. 
Well, if you're a child of God, if you're a son of God, you should be like your father who is in heaven. That trait, and who is God? He's perfect, he's blameless, he's, he's holy. We should be like him as children of God. We have a new nature. If any man is in Christ, and you've heard this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creature. What kind of creature? A creature made in the image of God. Now that image is renewed in Christ Jesus. And so we've seen this through this book of Philippians. A Christian is changed. He has a new nature. Now manifest that as children of God, blameless, harmless, so that you demonstrate law-keeping, blameless, harmless. You're not there to hurt anyone. You're there to help and serve and do good. The point of the text is grumbling and disputing, you see, should not, they are not characteristics of a child of God. And if you are living in this grumbling, complaining, negative attitude, then you're not acting like a child of God. You're not demonstrating submission to his will, reception of what he gives you, receiving what he has served you with gladness. You're not ready to serve him, but you're just thinking of yourself and what you deserve. I've, I've told this story before. I think it's been a few years, though, but uh, in Trinity. Uh, when we came back from the Philippines several years ago on furlough, I went to the glasses shop across the street to have my... my uh, eyeglasses tuned and straightened out and whatever and the guy looked at him and he said oh these these glasses you deserve better than this of course he's trying to sell me new glasses but you deserve better than you know what i deserve hell <laughs> i don't deserve better glasses the world's trying to sell you this bill of goods that you should live for you and you deserve good things you're because you are important well What's my point? You're a child of God. You have everything he's given you. More than you deserve, you deserve hell. If you're a child of God, you should receive what he gives you cheerfully, thankfully, not saying, well, I deserve better than this. Not grumbling, not fault-finding, but thankfully, cheerfully, heartily live for him and show that you're a Christian. That's the child of God shining forth, working out your salvation. Now, there's a difficulty in this, right? That's, that's the purpose. So that your true Christianity, your true identity as a child of God will be evident, manifest to all. But then he gives this qualification in a way, this difficulty is acknowledged. He says, going back to the text, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, here's the description of the world in which we live. And dear young people, it's not getting any better. Evolution is not making the world progress to a better state. That's obviously patently false. Right? Things are falling apart all around us. We live, you live, in a wicked and perverse generation, and it's getting more wicked and more perverse. Now, the word wicked, uh, let's see, let me look at the text again. Uh, crooked, yeah, that's, the, uh, that's a good translation. Crooked. Uh, that means as compared with God's uprightness. God is righteous. He is altogether straight in his conformity to his own standard. The world, <laughs> you put it next to God's standard, 
It's very divergent, very crooked. God says, you shall. And the world says, I will not. God says, you shall not. And the world says, I definitely will if I want to. Isn't that the case? That's crooked. What we see in the world, mar marital fidelity. And I've read statistics just recently that are alarming. And you know those statistics, 50% of marriages end in divorce, if it's even up to 50%. And, but this was the more alarming statistic, that I think it was, again, about 50%, if I remember the numbers correctly, of children born in America today are born out of wedlock. What will become of those children? Crooked! Perverse! God says, this is what's best for you, that there's a husband and a wife who are committed to each other, and they raise kids in this environment of love. And the world is perverse, twisted. It's going the opposite way. Why? Because this is what feels good to me. This is what I like. I'm tired of that woman. I want another woman. I'm tired of that man. I want another man. Perverse, twisted, going astray. Homosexuality. Well, that's normal. That's your right to do what you feel like. It's your body. You, you can claim what you want to be. That's obviously stupid. We are created in the image of God, male and female. And this is natural. This is right. But people are going against nature. It's crooked. That's the world. It's perverse, the second word. That means twisted and distorted, not according to the original design, but failed. God had a design for the world, and we know what happened. Satan comes to Eve and says, you will not surely die. If God really said that, God's word is not trustworthy. And God knows if you eat that, you'll be like him. And don't you want to be God yourself and make your own rules? Does that sound familiar? Make your own rules? Perverse. Man was made for a purpose. What? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To be in that relationship with the creator, which is delightful, wholesome, fulfilling. Answering to the cry of our hearts. man has perverted that and so that its purpose is totally obliterated it's a failure men are what we said yesterday lovers of pleasure lovers of money lovers of self rather than lovers of God and, you know it, young people if there's anything as I've observed the world in the last well since I was fairly alert say 60 years I've seen of course, men are selfish by nature, but I've seen this me-first-ism, this desire to please self, selfishness, be not merely something that happens naturally because of sin, but something that is almost encouraged and told young people, you live for you, you make your own rules, you do what you want, it's you, it's all about you. You young people, it's not all about you. You're not created for you. You're created for God's glory. This is what's perverse. 
turning God's order upside down. And you, ism, you worship will make you miserable. Now, that's the world we live in, and here's the difficulty. We're trying to walk through this world living not like the world, but you're swimming against the stream. You know, you, you go to an office, for example, or a shop, and everybody else in your group is complaining about the boss and about the work conditions and about the work you have to do and how terrible it is and how bad the pay is and how slave driving the boss is. And you say, well, you know, I'm actually happy here. <laughs> what does that make you look like? Oh, yeah, here comes goody. Here comes whatever the common terminology is these days. You know, oh, well, here comes Shut up. You live in a perverse generation, and it rubs off. And they start complaining, and you start thinking, yeah, it really is bad here. Yeah, it really does stink here. Yeah, the food is really bad here. Yeah, the teacher is really a pain in the neck. Yeah, the sermon really is boring. Yeah, it really, everything stinks. They're right. It rubs off. You know what it's like? It's like, um, I don't see anybody here with white pants. You ever, I don't know, it was kind of the thing when I was a kid to have white pants. And so I had a pair of white genie kind of pants. And, you know, you, you, nowhere, no matter where you go, you're going to have a big black spot on them. Right? I mean, I was a spot magnet as a kid. It was inevitable. It's like trying to wear white pants or white skirt, ladies, and go through a mud puddle or a muddy field and not have anything come on you. That's the world we live in. We live in a muddy world. Or it's like trying to walk through a field with those little briar sticky things and not have any get to your clothes. That's the world we live in. It's difficult to protect yourself, to still maintain this cheerful, thankful, grateful attitude in the midst of such a perverse generation. And so you need to pray that God will help you as you swim against the stream, that God will help you not to go like the world in their grumbling and complaining attitude, but to serve the Lord with gladness. That shines. That's, that stands out. And that leads to the next point. A testimony born. Look at the end of the verse. That you are may, may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the cosmos. I like the NIV here, although I'm not a fan of the NIV. It says that you may shine like stars in the universe. I think that's a decent translation of this text, that you may shine like stars in the universe. You go out on a cloudless night with a moon that is... Uh, a new moon, and you see the stars, brilliant, in the darkness. And he says, here you are in a dark, perverse world. Oh, they may not like it, and they may call you names. But if you maintain this cheerful, thankful, grateful attitude in this grumbly world, you will shine in this darkness. 
That's exactly what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16. For young people from Trinity Baptist Church who heard this not too long ago, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They may grumble about you now. They may call you names now. But in the day of visitation, as Peter puts it, in that day, they will say, yeah, he was right. They will glorify God. They will say, yes, this man, this woman, this young person, this boy or girl, they were right. And their life shone as a testimony for the living God. And so when you have this cheerful, willing spirit doing all things without grumbling, complaining, disputing, that shines. That shows that God has done something in you. Let's be honest. It's not natural. What's natural in us? <laughs> we were born grumblers, right? I think so. Man, why do we have to have this? Do I have to? You know, <laughs> you don't have to teach kids to do that. But it's grace that works this shining. And what a glorious picture. What is a Christian? According to this verse, a Christian is a star in a dark sky. Is that you? Are you shining in this dark world? Well, let's seek to wrap this up, and, I'm, and I think I may even not go over time. Um, let's seek to wrap this up. Here is a test. This verse gives us, in a sense, a way to evaluate ourselves. Am I a true Christian? You know, some of you may say, well, yeah, I put my trust in Jesus. I, I, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved, and so I trust in Jesus. Well, here's a test. Are you shining like a star? Or are you grumbling with the world like the dark world? Are you going on in, in this pattern of finding fault with everything, of, of nothing is right, everything stinks? Now, I remember Pastor Martin saying that, you know, you take a person with Limburger cheese in their mustache, no matter where they go, they say, this place stinks. <laughs> but that's the world. No matter where you put them, this place stinks. But a Christian should be like somebody, I don't know what your favorite perfume is or your favorite smell uh, may be. Uh, let's say bacon. Mm. <laughs> Little bacon fat on your, on your mustache. Man, I like it here. Uh, that should be the Christian in a sense. The Christian is not one finding fault, picking fights, criticizing everything and anyone. And so we just, just pause here for a minute. And I'm asking you to look in the mirror, as it were, of this verse. Am I a grumbler, fault finder? Everything that comes out of my mouth is what's wrong with everything. Or am I one who serves the Lord with gladness? Am I one who enters his courts with praise? Am I one who is in everything giving thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus? That's God's will. You ever wonder what God's will is? Give thanks. That's his will. For you who are children of God, you can honestly say, well, you know, I'm not perfect. Yeah, there are times when I get a little down, I get a little grumbly. Um, 
Maybe you've heard the Steve Green song. I know it's Steve Green. Anyway, it's a kid's song. We, our kids learned it. Are you humbly grateful or grumbly hateful? What's your attitude? Do you grumble and moan or let it be known you're grateful for what he's done for you? Which are you? If you're a Christian, you're not grumbly hateful, but humbly grateful. What should you do? Well, you should excel still more. There are remnants of grumbling in the best of it. Set a guard over your lips. Set a watch on your heart. And let your speech, going to Colossians 4, uh, 6, I believe it is, let your speech be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt. So sprinkle grace on those lips and let your speech come out so that as David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, because out of the heart the mouth speaks, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And may we grow in this. And so that as a result of this sermon, you don't go out and say, that was a lousy sermon. You go out <laughs> and not say, that was a great sermon. I don't care about what you think about the sermon, but what you do. You're going to look for things to be grateful for. How many blessings? I was telling uh, the girls in the car on the way here from New Jersey, we were talking about Chinese words, and I learned to count in Chinese when I preached at the Chinese church in New Jersey, and they taught me the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one in Chinese. And I don't remember all of the rest of it, but I do remember that the first part, instead of saying, Count Your Many Blessings, counting in Chinese. Count your many blessings. Well, I got the one. What? Name them one by, it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So, if you're children of God, excel still more in thankfulness. And lastly, if you're not a Christian, you, you have not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't say, okay, I'm going to improve on this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to, I'm going to be a thankful person. That's good. that's good. I like that. But you know, that's not going to save you. That's not going to make you a child of God. You notice what he said? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The salvation's already there. Now, live like it. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, that you may become children of God. No, 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 no. Not that you will become children of God by this means, but that you may demonstrate yourselves to be by being this blameless and harmless, thankful, cheerful, grateful person without fault in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. This is not the means to become saved. <laughs> That's very evident, as we saw in our previous studies in Philippians. For by grace you are saved, Ephesians 2.8. Through faith, that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, you need a new heart, you need a new nature, you need to be saved from this wicked and perverse generation, and that means you get translated, transferred out of this dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God's dear Son. And that happens when you put your faith in Christ, turn to him, ask him, to give you this new nature. Ask him to transform you. Ask him to forgive you and pardon you and make you new. Well, let's pray that God would bless this word and that for all of us, and I'm talking to myself as well, we would shine more brightly.
if you're a Christian. And if you're not, that you would today become one of those stars in God's firmament, shining for his glory, by his grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word, your direction to us, and we confess that we do live in in the midst of a perverse, wicked, crooked generation, and it rubs off on us. We find ourselves at times imitating the world. We ask that you would pardon us for that, those of us who are yours, and that you would help us shine more brightly by being more thankful, more cheerful, more full of service, and not full of grumbling. Forgive us for our grumbling hearts and replace these hearts. Help them, tune them to sing your praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.